Welcome everybody to Future of Beauty Unfiltered episode 19. I am beyond excited today. I have two amazingly talented guests with me, Gabby Hill and Ian Baines from Pelham. Hi guys, thank you so much for joining us. How are you? Very well, thank you. Thank you for the very kind intro. Oh, well, (laughs) it's going to get even kinder at this point. So this week we welcome two guests from Pelham, a cosmetic development and packaging manufacturer. First off, we're going to welcome Gabby Hill. Hi. Hi. Uh, product development chemist here at Pelham. So you are a key creative chemist behind the Pelham Matrix concept alongside working on new product development with various premium skincare brands. Gabby is a member of the Society of Cosmetic Scientists and the Royal Society of Chemistry. Currently pursuing the SCS Diploma in Cosmetic Science, Gabby has a particular area of expertise in formulating premium broad spectrum daily SPF products. And as we were talking about in the lab earlier today, I cannot wait to talk more about that in detail. Thank you so much for joining us. Yes, thank you for having us. Um, And last but no means least, we also have the pleasure to interview Ian Baines, Technical Director here at Pelham. Having worked in both the health and beauty and pharmaceutical industries for over 20 years, specializing in product development and compliance, Ian's area of expertise include formulating premium skincare products as well as a broad spectrum of daily SPF, medicated skincare, premium hair care, premium oral care and bath and body products. And he works alongside Gabby on the Pelham Matrix products. Ian's also a member of the Society of Cosmetic Scientists and is listed on their panel of experts who offer scientific advice to the industry. Thank you so much for joining us today. You're more than welcome. So I am going to jump straight into some questions. I know we already got started when we were in the lab earlier and I'm definitely going to repeat some because they were so interested, (laughs) but we are here today to talk about SPF. Let's start with the basics. What is SPF and why should someone care about it? So, um, in very simple terms, SPF stands for sun protection factor. Um, the way that it is measured in UK and EU, it's basically a measure of how fast your skin will start to show redness and effectively skin burning using a sun protection product versus without it. Um, so it's actually only a measure of UVB because that's the part of the UV spectrum that causes the redness and Correct, burning. Yeah. So we see like these SPF numbers, like say SPF 15 or SPF 30, effectively it's a length of time. It extends your sun exposure before sunburn. So an SPF, if you normally sunburn after 10 minutes, you apply SPF 30, you get 300 minutes or SPF 50, you get 150 minutes. So that's what that number means. It's, it's, it's protection against sunburn. Mm. You mentioned UVB. Let's, but there's also UVA. Can you tell me the difference between them? We spoke about this earlier as well. Yes. Yeah, so um, UVB is a shorter wavelength um, with higher energy. It doesn't penetrate quite as deeply into the skin as the UVA does, but that's predominantly what causes burning in the skin. Mm-hmm. And then you've got UVA, which is your lower energy, but it penetrates deeper. And that's really what causes photo aging in the skin. So yeah. it's the more long-term damage a, that you tend to see. A good analogy is to think of B for burning and A for aging. Both forms of UV can form skin cancer, um, you know, elitist skin cancer. But yeah, UVB is what gives you that redness and burning. And UVA is what we call photoaging, which is causes wrinkles and dam- causes damage to underneath the skin or deeper down. It's really interesting because I you know, would assume that the, the burning is what leads to the wrinkles, but actually it's... It's not it's, at all. It's not. No. Um. No. It, the burning is really. It's. It's. The burning isn't actually to the to the heat of the sun and the and the, you know part part that you get the physical burning and also it's mainly down to the, the wavelength of UVB. Mm. Mm-hmm. So, I was having a look the other day on um, Google search terms because I think that's always a really interesting place to start, and uh, I we've seen that the search volumes on SPF have significantly increased in the last ten years especially probably in the last four. Um, what do you think has contributed to the rising interest from consumers in SPF? I think a lot of it is down to consumers becoming more educated in general. Um, a lot of people know a bit more about actives in skincare in general, 
have a better idea of what the sort of things they're looking for. Um, but as well, there's a rising awareness of the effects of the sun on the skin, um, skin cancer and the ageing of the skin. Yeah, I think just on you know, the sort of modern digital age, there's much more accessibility to information that wasn't there in the past. I think because beauty consumers are much more educated now and they, mm. there's much more resources for them to seek out knowledge. Mm. So I think, yeah, that's probably, yeah, as Gary said, the awareness of what sun exposure, the damaging effects of sun exposure. Yeah, I think generally people are, are far more aware and prioritizing their health in a way that you haven't before. So I think society's priorities, you know, is definitely shifting. So a question that I asked you that I'm going to ask again, because I love it is how on earth do you start with making an SPF? I'd said it earlier, you're making a, a cake, you go, right, flour's my first ingredient. Like what is that process and how do you get there? Because it's not just one thing, it's different consistencies, different strengths, different colors, different smells. Like how mm. do you layer it all together? Yeah, that is a very good point. Um, it's there's a lot of stages in the process, really, aren't there? Um, yeah. The most important base part is getting your SPF value right, whether that is just SPF or having the broad spectrum as well. Um, so we have a lot of tools at our disposal. Um, some of them are digital tools where we can select the different sun filters that we want to use. Yeah, and it's like a predictive software, isn't it? Exactly. So it kind of gives us an early indication of what SPF we might expect based on the sun filters that we're using. Yeah, um, can I just add to that? So because like Gabby said, we have a, a, a palette of monograph sun filters and each sun, sun filter absorbs UV, sorry, UV radiation but at different wavelengths or different strengths. So... We kind of layer these different sun filters, mm. like, like Gary said, to give the right SPF value, the right level of UVA and UVB, and also like the correct level of photo protection. So we yeah. can kind of yeah. use software to help predict the levels of those. Yeah, but we would never just be relying on one sun filter. We kind of overlap them all together to get a nice broad spectrum exactly of protection across the whole UV. Is that because of like, well, this is going to sound really stupid probably, but like different, I know there's only one sun, but in different countries, obviously you have different um, levels of exposure dependent on season or? Um, that's a good question. So, so the, the short answer is no, long, long, yeah. long answer is more nuanced. Um, we, we lay, the, because there's not, one, there's not one sort of panacea sun filter that filters the whole spectrum. When we talk about UV radiation, there's a spectrum, or the, which is a range of wavelengths from like, was it 280 to 400, 400 nanometers? nanometers. Which is, so it's quite a, that's quite a, we call it mm. a broad spectrum. So the filters, individual filters only block some of that wavelength. So you have to kind of layer them to make sure you have adequate protection of the whole wavelength to get that broad spectrum. The actual, the intensity of the sun varies how close you are to it. As in like on the equator, it's warmer, but mm. the actual, the wavelength's the same. Okay. So it's just because you're in summer, it's warmer because the, the earth tilts its axis, so you're close to the sun. So because you're closer, you're getting more, the photons hitting you with more energy. Mm. But it's still the same protection you need all year round. Yeah. And so, like, what's obviously, we know there's a difference. We're going to talk about this in a minute around kind of some of the myth busting. Mm. But once you've kind of established what strength you're looking for, so let's say it's SPF 50 and it's a face product. Okay. Um, what other things do you have to take into consideration when you're actually looking at it from a cosmetic point of view along with the protection level? Um, so, the next thing is kind of the texture that they want. Um, how it applies to the skin, how it then dries down on the skin and the um, skin finish that it gives. Yeah. And as we, we sort of spoke in the lab before, mm. so lots, a lot of these UV filters are they're either oily by the nature because the, 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 the chemical structure gives them their sort of format or they're, they're insoluble powders. So, so as, a, as a formulator, we have to, formulation chemist, we have to incorporate the correct level that the software predicts, make sure we, we use a solubilize or solubilize, you know, dissolve them into the correct carrier oil that's going to feel, we have to think how it's going to feel on the skin, how it's going to impact the aesthetics. Cosmetics need to feel beautiful and look beautiful. That's the primary function. Mm. Yeah. So but in essence, we're working backwards because yeah. we're starting with something that feels absolutely horrible on the skin. And then we're slowly chipping yeah. away to see how can we actually make this feel How can we mitigate nice that, yeah. And how, yeah, exactly. And that's where the skill and the, and the creative challenge. And, we, and as, as as formulating scientists get excited because we know, yeah, like Gabby says, those sun filters have a horrible aesthetic as they are. The people think, you think about a traditional beach product, it's quite oily and waxy and mm. very unpleasant. Because on the beach product, it's, it's, it's there to be waterproof and last, last a long time. 
and and yeah, they're not really bothered about the aesthetics. Whereas, in the, like they say, facial skincare or daily skincare has got to feel and look beautiful. So we have to like retro-engineer. We have to we have a fixed combination of sun filters which have their own physical limitations, yeah, yeah. and then the skill as as, as as chemists is how can we mitigate? How can we add? How can we make, improve the spread? How can we make it be mattifying? How can we oh can we incorporate an oil soluble vitamin C in there to give some brightening? So that's where the sort of fun and challenge comes. And, and mm -hmm. traditional SPF beach care doesn't really address that no. beauty needs. So we sort of seen, you know, at Helen, we thought, well, let's try and make SPF accessible to daily, you know, to daily skincare routines. So that, that was Yeah, exactly. And make it something that people want to wake mm. up in the morning and put on every single day. Yeah. I think that's definitely the challenge as well. Is I know me personally, I have about four different types of SPFs in lots of different strengths, but I won't put the same SPF on my face as I do my body because actually it irritates my eyes or it doesn't sit comfortably under my makeup or it's not very comfortable yeah. versus I cannot get my son to wear any form of sun cream. He hates it. So I, he has to have a mist because then I can just chase him around the garden and yeah, do yeah. my best to absolutely yeah. hold your breath, quick spray. There you go. Your torch is over, off you go. So it's, there's definitely, I think, more demand for more versatile ways of consuming those products now than ever before in mm. comparison to mm. the traditional ones. Um, what, so you've gone through that process, you've worked out what ingredients, you guys mentioned earlier that they're always dependent on, you know, every brand will have a desire for a, a finish, a texture, a smell, a color, or whatever to differentiate themselves within the market. But there are, obviously you've also mentioned when we were in the lab that there are sometimes limitations around ingredients for lots of reasons. Can we talk about why a brand would or would not want to use certain ingredients? Yeah. I mean, from our point of view, we, we get that a lot. A lot. So we, we are, no, we as Pelham, we develop a contract manufacturer for brands as well. And a lot of brands have their own kind of brand ethos or their own, sometimes known as a blacklist or whether there are certain ingredients which even though they're, they're deemed to safe to use and are generally used in, in, the, in the market, some brands want to steer away from them due to like negative connotations or sometimes misinformation or a perception in the public that, I mean, one word, let's think of the P word, the parabens word, that everyone's quite aware of the, the industry has moved, shifted considerably away from that now mm. because they're using, using them because there was some kind of association with it, it was an estrogen analog and the science wasn't particularly sound, but the perception is perception is per, people's reality, right? So people yeah. think that, that that's not safe to use. They won't. So we get that a lot. In some, in some of the sun filters, we're not allowed to use because there's the, the, the there they might be damaging to coral yeah. or, you know, which is, that's kind of an emerging new trend. Um, or they, they don't like, sometimes we, we hear this, they don't like, they don't like the, the chemical name. It sounds too chemical or too synthetic because, where do SPF filters come from? So obviously, that's a good question. I, I, I sit there, I, like when you showed me in the lab the powder and stuff. I was like, I would never in a million years. They've, they've got to come from somewhere. So there's two types of filter, isn't there? Um, there's there's basically that we call them chemical or organic filters. And when we say organic, we don't mean like like mineral, organic like foods. you were saying. Yeah. So there's, there's mineral filters which are like titanium dioxide and zinc oxide, mm. and there's chemical or organic because they're carbon based. So when I say organic, don't think of organic foods. When, when we're talking about chemistry, organic chemistry means carbon-based chemistry. So these molecules are effectively like from petrochemical. So they're not from oil, but they're from the petrochemical, sorry, they're from the petrochemical industry. And um, the way they work is they, they absorb photons. I won't get too technical, but <clears throat> the structure allows them to absorb photons. And that structure involves lots of what we call aromatic moieties or also aromatic functionality groups. And they come from the petrochemical industry. And then the minerals are kind of mined, aren't they? Mm. You, the, the, that titanium dioxide comes from is anatase and rutile is a mineral, which is titanium dioxide. So they, they mine those and mill them and, and, and purify them. And then zinc oxides are quite a natural mineral. So the, so the two mineral filters are natural. All the chemical filters are synthetic mm. and man-made. Mm. Wow. That's insane. Cause you just, I think you just, you see, you know, when you just see a word and you go, I know that's a, that's the thing I need. Like when we were talking about with toothpaste, yeah. I need toothpaste to keep my face, you know, my teeth clean and everything else. And you just see SPF and you go, I'm going in the sun. I need SPF. And, mm. you know, for me, I'm quite fair, freckle, burn really easily. So I've always gone for factor 50 because I just want that stronger level of protection. That was my logic and reasoning for it. No other reason. Can we talk a little bit about the difference in the strength of factors for a sec? 
Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at Gabby as well. The, yeah, uh, yeah. So, as we mentioned before, SPF is your sun protection factor, and it's measuring how much longer effectively you could be in the sun before you start to see the burning. So, if you have an SPF 30 and you go in the sun and normally would burn in 10 minutes, uh, you could stay in theory out in the sun for 300 minutes before you started seeing that burning. If you had an SPF 50, it would then be 500 minutes. So there is a considerable difference between them. Um, is that where the numbers come from? Yeah, Correct. exactly. That's where the numbers come from. So SPF 15 is 150 minutes. Not Well, if you normally burn to 10 minutes, right? So right. everyone's um, sunburn time varies on the pigmentation. So it's it's basically it's it's, it's a multiplication of the fact of time as just when erythema so we say sunburn which is erythema when erythema occurs on unprotected skin it's a time difference between unprotected skin and the protected mm, skin yeah. so if you would normally burn in half an hour in fact spf 15 will give you 40 you know 450 it depends doesn't it, on how yeah. yeah interesting and can i just have to go back so you mentioned about the spf numbers you mentioned about your freckles yeah and, so, um and how you're prone to burning but what those numbers don't indicate is that your protection to uv a protect there's only like Gabby touched on your SPF value really the, the wavelength in which you, you burn is in the UVB spectrum mm -hmm. so that shows you how much protection your, your product will give you for in the UVB for burn but as we're in the beauty industry the, the sort of key thing that we want to sort of get over in this pod is, is that UVA protection is really important because UVA is what causes the photo aging and as an industry we, we're all about the beauty industry is all about kind of like and not anti-aging, but like, you know, wrinkle reduction. Prolonging that youth for yeah. as long as possible. Yeah. Exactly that. Yeah. And, and the the key advice I would give to anyone, the most important advice is prevention mm. is, is the way. So if you can start using an SPF with a UVA protection, we'll talk about how you, you know it's got UVA in a minute, mm. that will prevent photo-aging, which is well, 70 to 90% of skin aging is from yeah. photo-aging. So I am... Um Obviously, as I mentioned, I'm a mum of a five-year-old and he's quite fair. And, you know, I'm on these all kind of Instagram mum clubs and everything else. And one of the things that I found really interesting was you've got the SPF 50 on the front because that's mm -hmm. what my son has. But then they say flip over the back and you've got the star rating of the UVA element for the strength in it. And it was one of those I was told it has to have five stars. Mm. Um, and so as a naive consumer, I've gone five stars. Yes. <laughs> okay. But like, how, how is a consumer meant to work out these things? You know, you go, well, I assume SPF 50 gives me everything I need from anti-aging and protection. How do I work it out? So that's a very good question. So the star rating, we call it the boot star rating. So okay. it's, it's a, a rating scale that Boots invented. Mm -hmm. um, really? And it gives you, back, I think it's in the 90s. And that's more, it's predominantly used for, for beach care products, isn't it? Mm. For, it's, a, it's a measure of your ratio of your UVA to UVB. So basically... For a five-star rating, is it is it 90% uh, of your UV? If you say you're SPF 30, then at least 27 points have to be in the UVA range. range. Yeah. But that's only the, the boot star rating is only um really applicable to sort of the UK. It's very much a sort of UK-centric um metric. So because I mentioned the B word, the pre-Brexit times we were part of Europe. We, so we had a harmonized European cosmetics regulation. And they, they set up the standards for SPF um, monitoring and measuring. So we measure the SPF value to something called, you heard of ISO, mm -hmm. it's the International Standards Organization. Yep. So there's an ISO test for SPF, which is done on 10 volunteers, and it's called, that's called in vivo on living people mm -hmm. or under clinical, clinical control. <clears throat> and then the, the, that gives you your SPF value. Then the way you measure your UVA value is uh, it's an ISO standard called ISO 2443, and that's the in vitro measure. So you measure your SPF value, let's say your SPF 30, and then you then put the same formula through this uh, in vitro screening, and it tells you how many SPF points are in the UVA spectrum. Mm -hmm. And to have the word broad spectrum, you basically at least one third of your SPF value. So let's, let's say your SPF 30, at least SPF 10 or greater has to be in the UVA spectrum to provide broad spectrum. If it achieves that, you can, you'll see that little round logo on the front. You look for SPF, you you'll see if it's from Europe or the UK, you'll see, it's like, we call it the, the round door. It's like a little round logo and it's got the UVA letter inside. Mm -hmm. If you see that logo, then you know that your, your product's broad spectrum. That means it's got broad spectrum and it gives it at least one third of the value of the SPF. 
is in the UVA spectrum. So SPF 30, at least 10, SPF 15, at least five. So you know it's giving you broad spectrum protection. Are there any additional uh, labels, anything else you can look for that where it's more than the 10% or is 10% the gold standard? Sorry, it's not, sorry, it's not 10%, it's one third. Oh, sorry, sorry. Yeah, sorry, let, let's, let, sorry I'll, probably, let, I'll probably be a bit more uh, no, concise no, no. than that. Yeah, so, <laughs> so if you're, yeah, it's one third of the value. So if, if you achieve, let's say you achieve SPF 60, you can't claim 60, you can say 50 plus. Right. So anything greater than 59.9, we say 50 plus. So let's say you achieve SPF 60 or 50 plus, then at least 20 SPF points, one third of that value must be in the UVA protection range. And then there's also something called critical wavelength as well, isn't it? Which mm-hmm. is, so to say broad spectrum, it's getting a bit technical now, but at least the, 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 way, uh, the wavelength, was it 370 nanometers at which 90% of your, your, your UV is absorbed. But it, it's just to make sure that that's a good, so when you see the words broad spectrum and that UVA roundel, you know that your product it's going to give you really good UVA protection. And that's the thing you should actually, when it comes to a beauty product, yes. care about a little bit more than necessarily just the number on the front. Correct, yeah. yeah. Exactly. And then the star rating is not, it is applicable, but it's not really applicable to beauty products because to get a good star rating, you have to use all those kind of beach sun filters. Yeah. So you're not going to get... They you, are kids' beach products, to yeah. be fair, if I think about the ones that I've Five star is excellent. And, and five star protection for children, absolutely brilliant. And anything with five star with a five star rating is a great product. Absolutely brilliant. But if, if you can't extrapolate from that to your, your daily skincare, look for that UVA logo. So yeah. then you know that it's got good UVA protection. Mm-hmm. So... Um, I have a load of questions. There's so many things you've just said already that I want to talk about, but um, let's talk about cosmetics for a second. So in your experience, what are the most common myths and misconceptions around uh, some protection products? Because uh, I'll give you an example. Went on a girl's holiday last year, one of my best friends, Gina, beautiful tan skin, hates standing next to her on a beach, goes super, super dark, and she's there with a 15 and she's happy as Larry, and I'm there with a fact of 50 reapplying every 20 minutes. And we could be in the sun for the same amount of time, but completely different colors. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what you very quickly start to see is different types of products emerging, whether it's oil-based or cream-based or lotion or whatever. Um, and so this this perception of if you're naturally darker, you aren't going to burn. Um, what are, what are typically those myths and misconceptions around SPF and just, just sun protection in general? Well, this is an area we, we, we discussed quite a bit, didn't we? Uh, yeah. Um, I think what people don't necessarily realize is if they have a darker skin, yes, they might not burn quite as easily, but they still are exposing themselves to that UVA. Correct. Um, and over time that is going to cause those effects in time and that photo aging deeper down into it, the does skin. Does it creep up on you? Well, yeah. I mean, we, we talk about tanning, right? So that's basically you have a pigment in your skin called melanin, right? Yeah. That's the pigment that's in your hair and in your skin. And there are there are two types of melanin, there really. Are, yeah. But and the darker your skin tone, the more melanin or the different type of melanin you have. But melanin does act as a natural UV filter, right? So as you expo- get exposed to, to sun, you generate more melanin. Mm. But melanin doesn't. So melanin, dark melanin is very good at absorbing or blocking some UVB, right? Interesting. But so not that's UVA. what it's there for. Yeah. But it doesn't protect, it doesn't give you a lot of protection against UVA. So even though your friend is tanning nicely, but that's a visible, that's a visible reaction to mm. sun exposure. What, you, what she's not seeing is the invisible UVA that's causing photoaging, which is still being exposed to okay. by is, not having adequate SPF. Is there anything that our body does to help block UVA? Well, melanin, I mean, melanin, melanin does, does. But, and the, the, the darker your skin tone and the more, the, the more effective it is at blocking UVA and UVB, but it can't, it's not, it's not a full spectrum blocker at all, is it? No, no. So answer me this, this is a personal question. Why freckles? Why do freckles exist? Genetics mainly. Really? Yeah. yeah. But your freckle, um, is mel is, is a result of melanogenesis. So that's melanin regenerated in the skin but just the way it's distributed throughout yeah, it, that skin it, it's mainly mm-hmm. it's your propensity to freckles down to your genes oh thought. really yeah you can't you can't change that oh sorry guys <laughs> i'm with you though freckly tribe so what other what other myths are there around um so obviously we spoke a little bit about how the stronger the spf effectively the longer you can be exposed without burning without burning for a period of time but um you know and i'm guessing that's uv what what's actually We've mentioned, so UVB is what burns you. Right. So 
let's talk a bit about UVA then. How does UVA play a part? Is Does that have the same kind of blockage timings? Is, is it different? How does that work? So, I mean, oh, go ahead. So, yeah, so, yeah, I so, love it when you're like t- team tagging on who's going to answer this one. Is- <laughs> um, so, you, so you, yeah, UVA is like Gabby mentioned earlier, it's a longer wavelength, which doesn't mean a lot to people, but you think like when you, when you, when sound has a longer wavelength, it has a deeper sound. So, mm. like, so on deep sounds, you can hear them further away, mm. right? So same with light. So the, the longer wavelength or, or radiation, there's a longer wavelength UVA penetrates further and deeper. So it can penetrate through glass. UV, UVB is not very good at coming through glass, right? Mm. UVA can penetrate glass. It can also penetrate through the epidermis, mm. the outer layer of the skin. And the, these less energetic but damaging wavelengths, as they go through the skin, they can then start damaging your, your DNA under your skin. So I think you think underneath, you think like under your skin, you have like a, a scaffolding structure of elastin and DNA in this extracellular matrix. And this, these are the elastic collagen fibers that support your skin. They get, start getting photo damaged. Ah, oh, you said the C word, yeah. collagen. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. And, and so think, you think that UVA can penetrate to that level and it can actually damage collagen. So for the people that don't, and I include myself in this, can you explain to me about the structure of the skin? There's so many layers. We talk about that. Yeah. I'll, go on, Gabby. I'll, yeah. Um, so the very upper portion of the skin is is your epidermis. And that's kind of, you can think of it as sort of like a bricks and mortar structure, correct, can't you yeah. really? Um, so you've got these individual skin cells and then you've got the matrix and a lot of lipids and things going on that's correct. holding it all together in one place. Um, further down is more of the structure that's holding everything up and keeping it nice and plump looking. Like a sandwich is how I'm feeling it. You've got, you've got the, yeah. the bread, the butter and the bits in the middle. Um, yeah, so that's kind of where you've got more of the collagen and elastin and it's kind of like a scaffolding yeah. type structure. Correct. Um, along with the hyaluronic acid and everything, keeping that nice and hydrated. But over time, that breaks down and that is accelerated by UVA in particular. Yeah. Um, and it's really quite hard to reverse that it once is, yeah. it's done. So you know, lots of people, sorry to add that, but you know, lots of people uh, in, in the industry that go for anti-aging products and look for things to plump wrinkles and collagen, uh, to boost collagen by getting peptides. Mm. If you can prevent that happening in the first place, then you won't need those products as much when you're older because your skin will be more youthful. And you think UVA protection is a really big part of that? The, so the the biggest um, contributing factor to photo aging or, or what we perceive as visual aging is some is UVA exposure. Um, that I always say your skincare re- regime should be UVA protection, avoid direct sun exposure as much as you can, and hydrate regularly. Mm. Yeah, those are the key things. So I'm going to tangent again just because I think it's such an interesting topic. Sorry, guys, but Sorry. Um, so skincare. Most time, you know, acids, exfoliants, the amount of peeling products that are Mm. removing layers of your skin, particularly on your face that are on the market that are being used by pretty much every woman at the 30 and above, um, you're you're constantly removing those layers. Is that increasing kind of the risk of additional damage? Because obviously you're taking things away. So SPF should be an even bigger part in your routine if you're someone that does that. Can we answer this in two goes? Yeah. Yeah. So I'll, I'll start and let Gabby finish. Yeah. Um, so when you're putting it, so Gabby mentions about the top layer of your skin, we call it the stratum corneum, it's the very top. And, that, and the reason you have these skin cells, which are like little bricks, as Gabby said, and they stratify, so they, they keep growing up and then you shed them. That's why you get mm. dust in your skin cells. Lovely. Is your skin, <laughs> it's, it's your skin constant, yeah. it's constantly growing new layers. And as they grow to the top, the dead ones just wash off. So when you have a chemical peel or exfoliant, what you're doing, you're... Slough, we call it sloughing or, or exfoliating away that layer of effectively dead skin cells to make your complexion brighter. However, so the, you look, you know, you look, your complexion is improved, but you're now more prone to sun exposure because mm. you, you're basically taking away that barrier function of your, your stratum corneum. Yeah, and your skin itself is then effectively thinner because Correct. you haven't got as many layers between that and then your epidermis mm. and all of these important collagen and elastin structures there. So what I'm hearing is if you are a collagen taker, 
that is not the only thing you need to be doing. You need to be wearing SPF more than anything because I think, you know, the market has gone absolutely mad for collagen products right. in lots of different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm definitely, I'm a collagen taker, but I'm also a, a face peeler. So um, I wear hats as long, I won't go into the sun without a hat on. Very wise. If I can avoid it, I also will always wear polarized sunglasses, making sure they're quite large lens-wise to make mm-hmm. sure that you've got additional protection. Yeah. So there's lots of things like that I know that you can be doing. Um, but I think what are the other kind of myths that people expect around being in the sun and when it comes to aging? Because we've just sat here and discussed that actually UVA is one of the biggest things in sun exposures, one of mm-hmm. the biggest impacts that it has on on aging of the skin. Yeah, well, I think people use the phrase a healthy tan. Uh-huh. So, a he- I mean, he- so a healthy glow, a healthy glow, <laughs> a healthy tan, which you know, sun, controlled sun tanning is 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 fine because you, you you need some sun exposure to synthesize. I was say, there's lots of positives. Lots to of sun positives, yeah. mm-hmm. and people who have skin condition psoriasis or people who have need vitamin D synthesis or or, or sorry, or deficiency, mm-hmm. they should get controlled sun exposure. But the word is controlled, right? Mm-hmm. So, because you're tanned, means you greatly generate melanin. Because you've been out of the sun, but, but again, it doesn't mean you're healthy because you may have been exposed to a massive amount of UVA, mm. and you can't see UVA, and the effects are cumulative, right? So when you're young, you feel indestructible, and mm. you think, "Oh, I don't need to put SPF on that." The sun, I think about them when I'm older, and that's kind of too late. So that's one of the myths that we want to kind of bust: is that yeah, it's it applies never, to everyone. Yeah, it's never too early to start there's, taking care of your skin. Yeah, there's definitely a stage in life, isn't there, where when you're a kid. Like we all remember as kids walking around and we're glowing white. Yeah. We're, like, yeah. like when you showed me that power powder, you know, you look lumin- luminous on the yeah. beach um, and you're being smothered hen- head to toe in a really thick product because yeah. you want that protection. And then something happens kind of in your late teens, early twenties years where you kind of, like you say, you get a bit indestructible and you go, that's not me. And then you get to kind of 30 plus and then the kids start creeping back in again, potentially. And then you go, actually, I need to take sun care seriously again, not just for my child, but myself. And then the skincare element comes in. I mean, I I gave the analogy earlier, about like rock star smoking. You know, when you're younger, you see your your favorite rock band and the guys are all smoking cigarettes in the twenties and you're like, yeah, looking cool. cool. That's great. And then when you get to like 30, 40, like no one smokes anymore. Really? No one wants to because they it know. doesn't. It's not cool anymore. And we're all aware about the damages. And so I kind of liken that to the, the like SP, you know, yeah. not using SPF when you when you're sort of twenty mm. teens and twenty, you're feeling destructive. And it's, oh, I worry about that in the future. Mm. And we're trying to stress like you can't see the damage; it's, it creeps up on you. Yeah. So it, it, you know you can prevent it. That's really important. Yeah. You um, we were talking about analogies earlier, and obviously we've we've spoke a lot about dental. Yeah. Tell me your tell me your SPF <laughs> dental analogy. Do you want to do it, Gavin? Yeah. Um. So. I think the main point of it was everyone out there brushes their teeth every day, don't they? They should do. If you're not, I, why not? <laughs> yeah. I'd like to think that that they are. Um, and the reason why they do that is because they think if they don't, they're going to start having teeth problems, tooth decay, gum problems and whatever. So you do it as a preventative measure for that, partly and partly because you don't want to have bad breath or yellowing teeth. It's a confidence thing, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. So an aesthetic thing. And also thing. you only have one set of adult teeth as well. That's yeah, the exactly. Thing. It's seen as that you get the one and that's it. Yeah, and, and, but, yeah but that's a good point. You only have the one body that you're in. You only skin, have the yeah. one lot of skin. Yes, it's regenerating itself all the time, but those deeper structures there, once the damage is done, it's then very, very hard to reverse that. So right. actually applying an SPF every day, why are you not? doing that in yeah. the same way that you're like brushing you think, your yeah, teeth every day it's normal to clean your teeth right and we were talking about this earlier that like a two, one or two generations before say before me like my grandparents said it's quite normal for people to have false teeth because they, they didn't they didn't really brush their teeth and, and there wasn't the, the you know availability of oral care that we have now so as things have moved on there's been a big big educational piece in in the industry and through healthcare the benefits of brushing your teeth and using fluoride we all look for fluoride in toothpaste now we presume mm. you know it's you wouldn't clean your teeth without fluoride unless you have a, a medical condition so why would you not we would still say why would you not do the same with daily skincare we want that to become like the accepted norm that when you put your moisturizer on use one with spf with a you know with a uva just like you do your toothpaste for cleaning your teeth so that's I mean, I love the analogy. I really, really do. And I, I definitely think more people need to realize the differences. Um, let's talk about makeup 
and SPF a little bit because um, we've kind of, we've gone through so many of my questions already just <laughs> naturally. I've kind of looked yeah. down and I'm like, we've spoken about all these things. <laughs> Aha, how wonderful. Um, makeup. I have primers that say they have SPF 30 in. There are makeups that might say they have SPF 15 or whatever. Is that enough? Like what is the difference between a makeup with SPF, a skin cream with SPF and a sun cream? Like they're all different products. Mm -hmm. Are the levels different? Is there anything different? So if they have an SPF number next to them, they're all going to be tested in the same way um, where they apply a very specific set amount um, to the back of the well, it's the back, isn't it? It's, yeah. yeah. Sorry, when they do the SPF test, yeah, sorry, yeah. just add that. When they measure the SPF test sorry, uh, protocol, it's done on what we call glabrous or hair-free skin, normally on the backs of volunteers. Really? Yeah. yeah. Um, I'll tell you why later. Yeah, tell me why. I'm, I'm thinking, <laughs> okay. I can't, I don't so, think men always uh, are hairless. No, no, <laughs> no. Uh, so Gary's in full flow, full um, flow let's carry on. Yes, yeah, so they apply a very precise two milligrams per square centimetre of skin. Um, so... Every single product is tested to that standard. But if you think about when you're applying makeup, how much are you actually Putting applying on. Yeah, because you want to save the product, right? Yeah, and you don't want to have a cake face and, and look horrible. So actually, if you're applying your foundation, you're probably blending that in really, really, really well. Mm. And you're probably not putting on as much as you would if you were applying SPF to your arms. 100%, or even cream to your face. Exactly. If I think about yeah. the portions of SPF I put in my hand versus the portion of foundation is significantly different. Yeah. So um, one of the important things in getting the advertised SPF is creating a really nice continuous film that is acting as a barrier over your skin. If you're not applying enough, you aren't going to get the protection that's advertised on the product. So actually combining with SPF moisturizers and other things like that is mm -hmm. probably a better way to get the protection than so just relying. So actually, if you were to integrate all of your products that go on your body or face with an F SPF of some kind, that layering effect is going to have some form of positive impact. Absolutely. And also, you mentioned, like, say, a foundation. We think of a foundation powder, um, like Gabby said, well, you bron or a bronzer. The SPF in there is probably coming from titanium dioxide, which is a pigment mineral, because it's a loose powder, you can't, so when we measure the UVA protection, we use something called the ISO 24443 method. That Write that is, down, guys. That's, <laughs> only, that's only applicable to like, um, like balms and creams. It's not applicable to, to powder products. Right. So you can't, you won't see, the, you tend to see that most powder products don't have the UVA logo because they can't measure it. And also if they're using titanium dioxide, that only really gives you UVV protection, not UVA. So it might give you, a, you know, an SPF value if you apply this two milligrams per square centimeter, which is way too much that you normally use. So yeah. we would normally recommend putting an SPF, either primer or moisturizer on first, and then putting your, your foundation on You can on top. see why consumers are confused, yeah. can't you? Yeah. Like there's just, and the thing is there's, okay, can you make a false claim around an SPF? Um, well... No, the short answer. Because I know there are okay. lots of brands. I know the states. You know, we spoke, we'll talk about yeah, the global yeah. stretch in a minute mm -hmm. because obviously EU is very different. So to the, the regulations in the EU, and we follow the, these regulations in the UK as well. The, the, mm -hmm. the same regulations that to claim an SPF value in the EU, you have to do the ISO two four 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 test on ten volunteers in, on the clinical controls, and then to the, do the UVA, you have to. There's one or two protocols you can use. If, it, if the product's developed and tested in a different market, they may use a different regulation. Now, globally, everyone's supposed to use the ISO standard, apart from certain markets where they're sold as cosmetic uh, uh, drugs, mm, pharmaceuticals, medical, yeah. like America. Mm. But there is a bit of ambiguity. If, if the product's primary function is SPF, that's, that applies. Some markets, if they see them as secondary. So, so the, like if it was a makeup. A makeup with SPF. Um, with added SPF yeah. protection. Uh, really, our interpretation of regulations is they should test it, and we would, but some markets don't. So they just either they'll do a software prediction or they'll just claim it. And, and so you should always, uh, a brand should always be willing to share their, their ISO test results. And we at Pelham, any of our customers, will share all that dossier with them. But for some markets, which are maybe outside the EU, and I can't, I can't name markets, I don't have any data, yeah, but we do see some SPF products 
where when we look at the, the and we know the the maximum levels of UV filters you're allowed to use, we think it's almost unlikely, almost impossible to achieve that SPF value. Mm-hmm. Now, your SPF value can be impacted by if something's like, say, like a, a lip balm, which is water-free, mm. they tend to boost the SPF because they give, they give, like Gary said about it, that even film. Mm. So the thicker and more even the film, the more, so the more the sun filters can act on the on the photons coming in. So, so that can give you a bigger boost than you'd expect. But when we see some products which, like mists or or some primers, and it's yeah, it's, it's quest- questionable sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. But I'm not being a denigratory because I, no, I can't say for sure. But so I would always look again. If you look for the, anything with the UVA logo, then you know it's been tested yeah. for the ISO standards and you or Bootstar rating. You know, all the, all these logos we've spoken about. And I did, and it was made in the U, in the UK or EU or something like Australia. And it has one of those yeah. logos. Yeah. You know, you're in good stead yeah, for or, a yeah. product. Yeah, or it's like it was made in Australia. They they tend to follow the ISO standard, mm-hmm. and then. Korea, Japan, they tend to follow the ISO standard as well. So, but some markets, the reg- it's a bit more amb- ambiguous yeah. to what they're following. Um, talk to me a little bit about how um, you've, some markets it's seen as cosmetic and some it's seen as kind of pharma slash medical. Like we were talking about yeah. this with toothpaste, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, so exactly. SPF's the same. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the big, the, the, there's one standout market, which is the US, right? Yeah, so yeah. in the US... They're um, getting a lot of clout at the moment with <laughs> some of yeah. the SPF products. Well, in, so in the US, the current state of, of affairs in the US is that um, because SPF products prevent skin cancer, they're classed as, as pharmaceuticals. Mm-hmm. So they're treated the same way as we would treat, say, an ibuprofen gel in this country. They're, they're regulated by the FDA, which is the Food and Drugs Administration. And, they, and because of that, there are certain restrictions so basically they have to be manufactured using what are called monograph sun filters and there's only about in the eu we can use like 20 or odd different uv filters can't we yeah yeah in the us on this monograph there's very few you're talking a handful and then there's even few that we had that we can use here and also there yeah, at exactly the same time in- so yeah, so you're so you're restricted to having a very old-fashioned type beach product because you can only choose from these the monograph thick, the filters. The thick, white, clammy ones. Yeah, pretty about, much. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and then because it's because it's a pharmaceutical, it has to go through lots of sort of it has to be manufactured in the pharmaceutical site. Uh, it also has to go through very sort of complicated test protocols. So the US and it's also tested to a different protocol. It's called it's called the, the US standard. It's different to everywhere else. Mm. The rest of the world tends to follow, for the SPF value, tends to follow the ISO 2444, which is that on 10 volunteers. What does vary, in different, and they're all classed as cosmetics, then some, some markets say the class is like quasi-drugs. And say in Australia, they, anything with the SPF, greater, I think it's greater than 15 now, that's, it's still a cosmetic, but it has to be in a licensed facility. Mm. So, so most of the markets take the ISO standard, but they have different interpretations as to how they market it as a cosmetic and how... And what regulations the site that makes it has, and then also when we talk about the UVA protection in Europe, it's done. It's this, we use this in vitro method for the UVA logo. In the Far East, they use what's known as the, is it the PA plus plus, which yeah. is basically the Japanese um, version version of UVA. But that's and that comes from on the ISO version that is the ISO two four four two, and yeah. that goes around <laughs> persistent pigment darkening, where you actually, so rather than doing it in the machine, they actually expose people to UVA mm. in a controlled manner yeah. to, to look, get what's known as persistent pigment darkening or, or sun tanning. Yeah. Tanning, yeah. Uh, and that's quite what we call quite an invasive test. And so in Europe, there's a big push to move away from invasive testing. So at the moment, we've moved away from invasive UVA testing. And actually, there's a, there's a, a long going on, and ongoing <laughs> push to move away from, we currently test on humans, yeah. is to move that onto machines. And there's a, quite a long way down to have an ISO. We call it, so at the moment, that's called in vivo, which means in living. Mm-hmm. And we want to move that to in vitro, which basically means in glass. Which means in, so we can do that in the machine. So that's the big push in Europe to do that. But, right. So it's not so the long, sure, the short answer is that long. Is, there's no global It's so harmonized. interesting, though. Yeah. So I love the log answer. Yeah. <laughs> there's no global harmonized um, regulation. There's Each no market has its own interpretation. It. But as a rule, most markets follow the ISO, mm-hmm. apart from the US. And then Canada follows a combination of the ISO and the US. But we know the US works, like I was saying, with the Crest teeth whitening strips as an example. You can't get them in the UK right. because the, the, the strength is different. So mm-hmm. we do know that I think we're a lot more um, conscious of the strength of products that we use here. I just had a question pop into my head. There's a couple more because I want to talk about your SPF matrix formula uh, that you guys are working on. But the one thing we haven't spoke about, and we touched on it very earlier, is different C word, the 
cancer element and sun no, wait i'm gonna to have to say this right sun damage to the skin yeah can we talk a little bit about actually the science behind that i mean i'll give a caveat there's a lot of fear-mongering yeah. right mm-hmm. so let's do some myth busting okay. on the realities that's a good very good question before i answer and i'm looking at gabby as well we'll caveat this by saying we're not healthcare professionals nor we qualified doctors so to give definitive advice speech healthcare uh, professional um Skin cancer or melanoma can be caused by exposure to either UVB predominantly, but also UVA. Yeah. And the type of cancer, it, what type of cancer you can develop or your propensity can go down for lots of reasons. It can be sun exposure. Could be genetics. A lot of it can be genetics as well, yeah, your, or your predisposition to burn. And a lot of it can be down to your, your type of melanin and your melanin content. Mm-hmm. Um, the higher the SPF value, and, if, and assuming you've got good UVA as well, from, then the more protection that will give you against potentially contracting skin cancer from, from sun exposure. But it's not a guarantee. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I mean, like you said about genetics, it's every individual's propensity to form forms of cancer, be it, mm. be it bowel cancer or skin cancer, it's something that can be genetics. Sometimes yeah. cancer, sometimes cancer are, sometimes cancer are down to radiation exposure, yeah. and that can come from the sun. Yeah. So. The best thing I will yeah, would be avoid avoid overexposure to the sun. Yeah, it's uh, erring on the side of caution, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah, because cover up. yeah, the cells are dormant, right? We we a lot of the time, so it's finding the right. Yeah, well, well, if you think about some like you, when we talk about UV induced, say skin cancer, that's that's damage to the cell that's been done on the DNA, of the cell done by UV radiation. So mm-hmm. that wasn't dormant. That's you've caused a cancer cell yeah. by the sun. Whereas a genetic one, could, yeah, yeah. It, it's slightly different. Um, so this is like an epigenetic, means outside genetics. It's, it's, so if we can control that by using an SPF mm. and minimizing our sun exposure and covering up and avoiding midday sun, that will definitely reduce your risk of skin cancer. How often should you be applying it? I know we spoke about the different strengths allow the, the different lengths of time, yeah. but you don't pay attention to it. I mean, for me, I, I should probably do it more often, but it's, you know, I'm there kind of every... 45 minutes hour going time to top up like, yeah you know yeah. i don't think you could be reapplying too often yeah it's more than you think is what we say yeah it's definitely always more than you think and i'd always are on the side of caution of that but as well um even if you've got a product that says it's water resistant correct you should still really be reapplying that when you get back out when yeah. you get back out um 100%. I mean, there's, there's a few things that affect how often. Basically, there's a few things you don't know is how fo- we call photostable the product is. Mm. You, don't, you as a consumer don't know that. So that means how, how quickly it can still offer you protection. So let's say you're exposed to the sun, you come in from the sun, then go back out. How, how much of your sun protection is still left? Um, we don't know how much of your sun, when you put, we put this barrier on this two milligrams per centimeter, if you sweat or you rub against sand or, or you, you rub against that clothes, away. anything that diminishes from that barrier, uh, and, and going back and allude earlier about testing on the back of the skin for the SPS, the reason we use glabrous skin or we're hair free as much as possible is because any hair follicles, remember when you put the SPF on, you want a nice even film. Any hair follicles or, or sweat it. pores that come through that break that and let the, let the sunlight through. So yeah. when you put SPF, you know, being male, I'm, I'm probably more hairier than you do. Right? So, <laughs> so when I put SPF on, I probably get less protection because my hair follicles are, are, are lifting that formula off, yeah, and yeah. then letting the, the, the UV get to the skin. So interesting. So how you apply, it's probably quite important as well yeah. to go against the yeah. hair growth and exactly. So yeah. in terms of how often you should reapply more than you think, um, on the walls there on side of caution, it's better to over, you know, you can't yeah, over apply. Exactly. Yeah. Interesting. So tell me a little bit about this SPF matrix formula that you have been working on then for um, sun protection products. Can you share what this is kind of about and what makes it a bit of a step change in, yeah. in the um, products? So we've already launched quite a few of the products, which <clears throat> essentially our aim was to make things as beautiful on your skin as possible. Well, I'm sorry. It's all right. We're all having a little That's water right. break. It's fabulous. <laughs> um, I've normally got whilst, a coffee break somewhere. Um, <laughs> while still providing you with that broad spectrum protection. Um, but what we've really been thinking about recently um, is different skin tones and how SPFs can be made more accessible yeah, to d- those skin tones. as well. Exactly. So um, Definitely want to hear more about this. <laughs> 
Um, basically making SPFs that don't have that white, ashy, horrible white cast yeah. on on these darker, darker skin, skin tones. Yeah. yeah. So the, um, and making them suitable for yeah, making yeah. more inclusive. We, we, exactly. I think more worth it, we, we saw was lacking in SPF. So not only we tried to make it more accessible to brands by we're doing all the pre-qualified testing, it's making it more you know inclusive and accessible to all markets. So and, and all consumers. So we're working on. So we've tried to. One of our products is the Invisible SPF yeah. fifty, yeah. which is it's completely translucent on your skin, and, and it's you know so it's absolutely suitable for all ethnicities. And we're also working. It's still it's not ready yet, but we're not far Spoilers. off now. Um, so a bit of a teaser. We're working on. Obviously, we talked about mineral filters and and the science of how they work is that they act like it's got tiny small reflectors, but they have that, have that white cast, right? So. We've been working on um, very carefully getting the particle size of the minerals and the coatings to make them invisible. And we're almost there in a completely yeah. invisible mineral SPF 50 that's suitable for all skin types, all ethnicities as well. Because we find a lot, a lot of darker skin tones, they won't use mineral filters because, because it gives like a gray or, or even a blue. They normally use oil-based products. Exactly that. But yeah. that, that then limits you to using chemical filters only, right? Yeah. But for yeah. those who don't want to use chemical filters through either ethical choices or, or just lifestyle choices, once you use mineral, mm. that's not available yet, but the technology is almost there and the application we're working on. So that's, yeah, I'm, I'm smiling as I say this because we, we think we've cracked it. That's and that's, that's, so that's coming soon. So that'll be very exciting. What about, um, so we, we, we've only touched very lightly on the, the, the fact that we, we need the sun to synthesize to be able to create vitamin D. Correct. How... <laughs> Where's the balance? Like, how, <laughs> where does that sit? That's a good question again. Um, we, again, we're not healthcare professionals, so please please consult your healthcare professional. Oh, I'm going to write that at the bottom <laughs> of this episode. <laughs> caveat. Your caveat. Um, again, so that varies from the individual. So the, the, the wavelength of which you synthesize vitamin D or, or is in the UVB range. It's, it's, the burning it, range. The burning range, the burning yeah. Range. So when, when you are- Changed quite, my life with that, yeah. burn and age. <laughs> yeah. So I think it's like around 320 nanometers where you- your, your, your maximum vitamin D synthesis happens. Um, that's because I think like people with psoriasis, they said they have to go on some beds, don't they? To get that vitamin D, you know, mm. anyway. Um, so the more SP, the higher the SPF value, the, the more you're restricting your exposure to vitamin D synthesis radiation. However, you only need a very small exposure of the average person daily to generate enough. If you were concerned, you might want to look into vitamin D supplementation or speak to your healthcare professional. But there's a couple of, we, we've done some research as part of this project. We've got a couple of published papers where there's no, there's not, there's not sufficient data to say it impacts it negatively. So I would say the risk of not wearing SPF far outweighs the small risk. If you did have a vitamin D deficiency, you could easily supplement that mm. without using, needing to have UVB exposure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've had doctors that I've spoke to that have said between October and March, um, you know, if you, for non-Caucasian skin, it's all year round. Yeah. Um, because obviously we talk about the, the different kind of, mel I can't say, is it melanin? Mel mel melanin. 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 Thank times, you. Yeah. That's like my millennium. I kind of never say it. <laughs> um, and, um, but actually with particularly Caucasian skin between months of October and March, you should be taking vitamin D supplements in theory because the, the strength of sun and everything else. That's a good, yeah, so that's a very good question. Especially if you do wear SPF all year round. That was one of the things I found yeah. very interesting. Obviously, again, I'm not a medical practitioner, but um, that was <laughs> the advice I was given. And I do think people are aware yeah. now of the connection between that. And so, but then also like you were saying, a lot of the time when it comes to how much you should apply products, it's probably more than you think. So people are probably naturally, like you're saying, having that element of exposure Correct. But it's not worth not using the exactly, SPF. Exactly. Yeah. There's always incidental exposure. And also, when you put an SPF on you, you're not, give, you're not filtering at 100% of the UV, you, you, the majority of it. So you're, you're still getting some incidental exposure. Um, but yeah, vitamin D, maybe you know, if you're prone, the, the paler your skin tone, the, the maybe you're probably more efficient at synthesizing vitamin D. Uh, mm. People with darker skin tones may want to. Yeah, it may be an issue for those. Yeah. Like they may want to reduce their, their SPF value lower in, in, in winter, mm. but still look Wear for it. UVA protection, right? Mm -hmm. So you might even want an SPF 15 in winter, you've got darker skin, but with UVA protection, because you're still going to need that photoaging protection. That's super important. So um, I have loved talking to you guys. I have two more questions. Question one is, is there anything that brands should slash could 
do to help communicate and facilitate the right choice of product for their, a consumer? Because there's, it's overwhelming the amount of words, numbers, badges, everything. And so we've already said, look for that UVA stamp as, a, as one or kind of the right. boot star rating is, is another one, but the UVA one in particular what else can brands be doing to to help actually in this process, get people to understand that it should be like brushing your teeth? Um, yeah, that is a very good point. Um, I think creating some sort of education piece to say, actually, this is what UVA is. This is what this logo means. This is what this SPF value right. means. Um, but as well, I think a lot of people are still put off um, by using SPFs every day because of their experience with these beach products um, and how they are really whitening. Um, so actually getting it across in some way that there are these beautiful products out there and the products that they're selling yeah. are probably really, really nice and don't give you that white cast. Yeah, we kind of mentioned like, like visual swatches maybe. Yeah, so um, having swatches of different skin tones with the products rubbed in just to show mm. here's the sort of finish that you can yeah, a bit expect. like when you would put like a bronzer on your skin or yeah. whatever. Exactly, exactly. Because really the SPF that's right for you is the one that you're going to want to put on every day ultimately. The mm. protection is important and the broad spectrum and the UVA protection is important. Yeah. But if you're not going to want to put it on every day. So maybe to with like testers as well, right? So there's Gabby. So you, yeah. so if you see visual indications of how it'll affect your skin tone or your skin, your, if you, yeah, because you've got, let's say you've got oily skin yeah, or you've got, or you've got dry skin. You you might want to see how it looks on oily skin, but you need to, ultimately you need to try it, you right? You do, yeah. yeah but they, everything, what we always do when we're developing products, the first thing we do is try them on our skin because that's how, what the consumer is going to do. So I think maybe more accessibility to testing, to testers. And like Gabby says, sim, maybe explaining what these circle logos mean and what these numbers mean. Mm. But it's quite common, as we've spoken about today, it's quite a complicated and, and what would be great would be a globally harmonized system, right? I know. I'm definitely going to go home and look on the back of all of my products now. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. thanks for that. And then the last, the last uh, thing is if you could give one piece of advice to um, marketeers outside of what you've just said around testers um, and people that are listening today on either how to better educate yourself or better communicate around sun protection in general, what would it be? Good question. Um, I think uh, we always point users to like the resources which are there. So a, a good resource is what is the CTPA, mm -hmm. which is Cosmetics, Toiletries and Perfumery Association. So that's ctpa.org. They are they have great consumer information. They have guidance documents on, on mm -hmm. SPF and skincare. So access the right information. I mm -hmm. think. Um, what advice would we give? Yeah, they've also created a consumer facing. Um, version yeah, which the facts about don't they yeah yeah, yeah. That's um, a great which is resource more accessible to the wider public yeah. if you're not a scientist basically yeah uh, what else would we say um it's just yeah just i think the stress in that prevention is better than cure you know that that I think the that's earlier so you key. start that that you know you adopt you normalize that regime of preventative you know prevent you know prevention and, and, and as a daily routine that will, yeah, that will pay dividends as you, are, as you get older. Long term, my, my 60 year old self will thank my 30 year old self, is absolutely, what you're saying. Definitely, absolutely. Definitely yeah. will. Yeah. yeah. I guess this is where uh, fake tan was prevented, right? Are you definitely seeing a lot more trends of people using fake tan now more to actually achieve that? Because we all, you know, you feel good when well, you have a tan, right? You in, do. Interestingly, um, and this is not an advertising piece, but we have developed an, a, a, grad, <laughs> a gradual fake tan SPF. So you can, you can, you can. You have a great, Shut an, the inst front door. An, an instant graduate. <laughs> Where is it? I yeah. want to try. It's actually it's just going through SPF testing now, isn't it? Uh, we've had yeah. To, yeah um, but I think yeah, grad, so gradual tan is you know, that so that we, we use a material that causes uh, it, it reacts with, this, with the uh, proteins on your skin, mm. and so you get that kind of color change. That but that doesn't give you any any. It's not like melanin. That no, won't prevent no, no, no. sunburn. Um, so so maybe you want to have that instant bronzing. Maybe look to the Matrix uh, yeah. to gradual tan products, things like that. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'd use that on holiday. I definitely like to mix it up a bit and keep the tan going. Otherwise, I'd be there forever. The only <laughs> yeah, I think as well, for um, pale skin like me, the tan that I can achieve with a, a self-tan product, I would never, ever, no. I'd have to burn myself to death to, <laughs> to yeah. ever sort of achieve that colour. So, and, could be, and because of that perception, that, you know, and a lot of it's driven by celebrities and stuff, that, that, that 
healthy glow or that grad, you know, that healthy tan. So yeah, if you want, that's what it's, it's, it's inherently safe and there's, there's no exposure to UV. So that the gradual tan, but that's only suitable for certain ethnicities again, you know? Mm. So Well, if you look at the kind of the, I find the history of tanning absolutely fascinating and I'm hoping to have a broader podcast conversation on it. But obviously you look back at like Elizabethan era where they used to paint their faces white to oh, show gosh, yeah. Yeah. show their affluence and their success in the world because mm-hmm. they the paler they were, it showed they didn't have to go outside and actually Absolutely. work. You know, at the time, tanning was seen as a sign of poverty and, and not yeah. in a positive way. And then at some point along the lines, it kind of shifted. And, and in the kind of Western world, it's now yeah. actually you want to be showing that you have the tans because you have the ability to go away on the luxurious holidays and all these other things. So, but obviously off the back of that, there's Big a long-term lot of though, yeah. long-term health yeah. risks that come off of the back Absolutely. of it. Absolutely. So, yeah. So I think what we we now have the ability you know, to tan safely, mm-hmm. which we didn't have in the past, right? Yeah. So the science is available now, and you know, the UV filters we have, and the, and, and the formulations that companies like Leica and others can create. I think consumers can sort of tan safely in confidence. Mm, absolutely, guys. I have loved, 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 loved this conversation. Thank you so so much for your time today you have been absolutely amazing and blown my mind a little (laughs) bit around all things spf so i'm definitely going to go away and educate myself and look at all of the back of my products now um thank you so much for joining us guys if you have enjoyed that or you have any questions please get in touch at podcast at the pool agency.com i have been hannah cook your host and i'll see you next time thanks a lot 